Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Bibles turn to Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 56. As Marty mentioned today, we're going to, we're at the, pa- the part of the Jesus narrative. Uh, last week we looked at the crucifixion. Now today we'll be actually looking at the, the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus as we pivot into the glorious resurrection next week. So I've done a uh, lot of funerals as a pastor, youth pastor, family pastor. I mean, literally dozens. And uh, people have different traditions, different ideas of funeral. And so today as we're talking about death and burial, I thought it would be interesting to look at some interesting funeral traditions, okay? A little weird, I get it. Um, so, uh, but let's look at it. So in Madagascar... The Malagani people, Malagasy people of Madagascar have a funeral tradition called Fumadahana. I didn't get that in the first service, so be glad. All right. The turning of the bones, which they perform every five to seven years. In this ritual, people bring the bodies of loved ones from their crypts, wrap them in fresh cloths, spray them with perfume, and dance with them. They see it as a chance to share stories with deceased loved ones and ask for their blessings. I think we can all agree that's, ew. (laughs) In Aboriginal Australia, in Aboriginal societies, it's believed that when someone dies, their spirit goes back to the land before being reborn. And to start the spiritual on its journey, a smoking ceremony is held in the home of the deceased to drive the spirit away. The body is then placed on a tall platform covered with leaves and left for months to decompose. Now, one that we're probably more familiar with in New Orleans. uh, New Orleans is a city known for its music, food, and culture, so it's no surprise that they like their funerals to be filled with entertainment. A jazz band leads the procession of the coffin, followed by their family and friends to the cemetery, playing somber dirges and hymns. Once buried, the music becomes much more lively and a party is started to celebrate the life of the deceased. In Mexico, one of the most globally famous customs is a tradition that dates back to Aztec times. It's believed that mourning the dead is disrespectful. And once a year, they return to earth to celebrate this. The altars are set up in the homes or graveyard and loaded with offerings of marigolds, food, drink, photos, and candles. You know, it's interesting, we all have our funeral traditions. Here in the South, we have traditions not nearly as uh, weird or or as, you know, different as that. 
Um, but we do have our own traditions here in the South. If you go to a funeral here in the South, it could have some sort of music or some sort of message, some sort of eulogy, and you go to the graveside and you, um, you know, you do the, 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 the burial service there. And then in the South, this is the part where it's a little bit different in the South, we all go for fried chicken. I mean, if you've gone to a funeral in the South, it always ends up afterwards, you go to the house of the family of the deceased, and there is just a plethora of fried chicken and casseroles everywhere. I don't know what it is about Southerners, particularly Baptist and deaf, but we like fried chicken. And so there's some sort of connection there, okay? I don't know what it is. Don't know if it's spiritual, cultural, or whatever, but fried chicken is somewhere connected. It's interesting in all the details of the passion. The death of Jesus is shared in all four Gospels. The burial of Jesus is shared in all four Gospels. It has very little to do with funeral traditions and more to do with the knowledge and the understanding and the declaration that Jesus has died. And guys, let me tell you, that's significant. And we need to get our heads around that. We need to know that. We need to realize that that is important, that Jesus did die. He died and was buried. That, that, that's, that's significant to our faith. That's significant to our theology. You know, we can't, you know, well, I saw this YouTube, you know, video, and it said that, you know, that he actually was in a coma, and so he woke up later. No, Jesus died. And that's important for us to know. It's important for us to get our heads around. It's important as Christians for us to embrace this idea that our Savior did die. Let's read his word. Start with verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for his spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And now there was a man named Joseph who was Jewish, for the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to the decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid and they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I pray that in these moments I would not speak a sim single word that is not first anointed by you. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may truly see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's explore this a little bit. There's a lot here, and let me just tell you now that Luke, in this part of the narrative, is 
you know, kind of narrow in the descriptives. He kind of stays to the point of Jesus. He doesn't get into a lot of the descriptions of uh, the surrounding story and stuff. And so I'm going to be going back to, uh, to Matthew quite a bit, uh, Matthew and John a little bit, uh, to kind of fill in some holes uh, to this story, okay? So uh, just so you know with that. So, but I want to unpack this because there's a lot here that has to do with our, not only our understanding of Jesus, but our understanding of our faith. And so the first thing is to understand that darkness covered, the sun was blotted out. In verses 44 and 45, it says, Now in the sixth hour there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Matthew 27, 46 says, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sun was blotted out for a moment. The sun was blotted. For a moment, there was darkness that covered the land. At this moment, in this very moment, laid the judgment of man. In this very moment was the judgment. In this very moment, Jesus took on the sins of the world. In this very moment, Jesus took on your sin. The sun was blotted out. And this was, um, uh, this is, this is, you know, important for us to, to, to understand the idea that, that your sin had to be paid for and your sin was paid for on the cross and we hear talking about that. This is the moment. This, in this moment, our sins came upon Him. In this moment, Jesus was separated from God. Why else would He say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's important to understand. You would say, well, of course, Jesus was hanging on the cross. It hurt. He was humiliated. Why? Of course he would say, why have you forsaken me? No, that's not the reason. We, we need to remember, go back weeks. What have I been saying every week leading up to this? Jesus was in charge the entire time. We talked about last week when Jesus was crucified. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He could have stopped it. The entire time, Jesus was in charge. He was in charge during the trial. He didn't stay quiet because he knew he had to be crucified. He knew he had to die in this moment. He knew he had to die in this way. And if that's true, if Jesus was in charge and he knew all these things had to happen then of course it wouldn't be the pain or the cross that made him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what was it that made him cry that out in these last moments? In those moments, all of sin, humanity's sin, was coming upon Jesus, a pure and righteous man. And in this moment, he was enduring the sin of the world. And for the first time, his father looked away because God cannot look upon sin. And for the first time, Jesus had to experience life without his father. And he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 13, 9 through 10. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel and wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy to sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. In Joel, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. See, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is the day of the Lord. This is the day of judgment. In verses 47 to 49, we see what I call the centurion confession. 
verses 47. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Now Matthew kind of fleshes this out a little more in Matthew 27, 54. It says, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, we don't know if the centurion became a believer. We don't know. I mean, we saw, we have movies, you know, if you've seen The Robe, you know, back in the, the movie from the 1950s, and, and there's another movie that came out 10 years ago or so of the centurion and, and how he became a believer. We don't know that he became a believer. We don't know any information. It's like, but it's a fun story to kind of, you know, pull the string and see what his life may have been like. But I tell you what, a confession is a, a, a series of statements that outline your faith, that, that kind of uh, uh, give a picture of what you believe. The centurion's confession is pretty daggum good. First, he said this man was innocent, and he said truly this was the Son of God. Being able to recognize the innocence and the deity of Jesus, it may not be a complete confession of theology, but it's a dang good start. And may I propose that it is the start that all of us may, must have. Our faith should be built upon those first two blocks, first, uh, for, uh, first two blocks, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is innocent, and we are not. I mean, that, that, that is, you know, that is quite the, uh, you know, quite the, uh, the, the confession of the centurion. In 50 through 54, we see that Jesus has a borrowed tomb. Uh, we have, uh, now there was a man named Joseph from, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, not consented to the decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. This is a, a, a Jewish man. He was, in, he was a, a Pharisee. He was in the council, and he was truly looking for the kingdom of God. He was a searcher. And he did not agree with the illegal trials that were taking place. He did not agree with how this was going on. He was not one of the ones screaming, crucify, crucify. He was not the one of the ones screaming, give us Barabbas. He was not one of those. Again, John chapter 19 fleshes this out a little bit more. Let me turn to that. John chapter 19, starting with verse 39, says, Nicodemus also was with Joseph, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. By the way, can we just stop for a second? Whenever you heard the story of Jesus and the women bringing spices and herbs to prepare the body. I don't know about you, but I had like, I had pictures of like little bottles, little jars, you know, uh, maybe a little, little sack of spices to make things kind of smell pretty or whatever. Uh, did, did you get that? 75 pounds, okay? Audra did some research because she could only listen to me for so long, and so she, she lost track, and so she, she was Googling while I was preaching the second half of the sermon, and so she found out that that is, um, by the way, a lot, okay? Uh, you know, the, the normal person had a, a few pounds. A, a person, Josephus shared that a, a person of great importance 
40 pounds. That was, a, that was extravagance. 40 pounds extravagance. The fact that they had 75 pounds showed, it was just, it showed the level of love that Nicodemus and Joseph had for Jesus, what they, the, the, the feeling of, uh, of love that they had and, and importance that they bestowed upon Jesus. So anyway, uh, let me go back. Okay, uh, verse 40. And so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices as it is burial custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Now, what's important about this is really the story of Joseph of Arimathea. I mean, we hear about him, that, that he lent Jesus his tomb, that he gave Jesus his tomb. And that's sweet and it's lovely and it's an important thing. But we need to understand the boldness that comes from this. The boldness that comes from Jesus, uh, I mean, Joseph. Uh, a quiet believer. Again, it said that he was a quiet believer, that he, he was seeking the truth. And Joseph was one of these guys saying, okay, all right, Jesus, uh, I can't explain these things that you're doing. And, I, 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 you know, I, I, like, I like the track that you're thinking. I, I like where you're going with this kingdom of God thing. And so he was a quiet believer. Nicodemus, similarly so. Remember John chapter 3. You know, it's where we get John 3.16, for God so loved. And Nicodemus, you know, was talking to him. He said, how, you know, the, the, you know what, what's all this about? And Jesus told him about being born again. And so Nic- Nicodemus was also a, a Pharisee uh, 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 in the council. And he's just curious. And he was uh, curious about the kingdom of God. And, but again, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus saw him at night. You know, and some of us are kind of the same way. You know, he's like, Nicodemus, Nick, Nick is like, hey, Jesus, um, I like this stuff, but I got a rep to protect, okay? I have a reputation, and I can't be seen with you during the day because, you know, you're kind of weird, and my people don't like you. And some of you are kind of the same way. You know, you're like, hey, I'm all about this Jesus thing, but I can't really let my family and friends know because, you know, Christianity is not really a cool thing right now and so I have to kind of keep it on the down low and that's kind of where Nicodemus was back then and Joseph was as well and so what's powerful about this what's important about this is when Jesus was dead Joseph of Arimathea that was quite bold that he went to Pilate to ask for the body why is that bold well it's bold on two fronts number one in the midst of think about how controversial this entire uh, uh death sentence was how how embroiled it was in controversy i mean people were rioting and screaming and letting terrorists off and the whole thing and so all surrounding this Pilate, he you know joseph went to Pilate and said hey i want the body now normally Pilate would say listen i need to keep these people in line and so i want jesus to stay up there to to let everyone know not to mess with me and not to not to cause any trouble and so it was a big deal for joseph to go to to Pilate and say i want the body so that took risk. What took a greater risk is Joseph being seen in front of everyone. Now he was outed. He and Nicodemus at this point was outed. They were outed of being followers of Jesus, of being supporters of Jesus. This was a big deal. And so the borrowed tomb was, was not just, it wasn't just a, a, a sweet part of the story where Joseph gave his tomb. It was a, it was a huge step. Talking about the, the third part of our mission of living bold, it was a huge step of letting everyone know, I am a supporter of Jesus. We're going to get to later 
a beautiful part of John chapter 19, verses 41, where the tomb was in a garden. In, in verses 55 through 56, we see the preparation was interrupted. The women who had come with him, with Joseph and uh, Nicodemus, from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. So they were going to take the 75 pounds of spices and stuff and they were going to kind of prepare it and make it, where it ne- how it needed to be for the body of Jesus. But it said that on the Sabbath day they uh, rested according to the commandment. So they had to stop and rest according to the commandment. Now, the women couldn't complete the preparation for the body because of the Sabbath. And I just think, now there's all kinds of stuff here that's important. The, the timing of this and how it aligns with Passover and all that kind of stuff and the, the, the synergy, the, the symmetry and the timing, all the stuff aligns that, that it's important and I get that. But when I read that, there was just something that just spoke into my heart and I was like, how appropriate is it that in the midst of the redemption of man, was a pause. I mean, how, how appropriate. It, it, isn't that so, God? That in the midst of something so important, it's kind of a big deal, redeeming mankind. Yeah, but in the midst of it, let's just pause. Because rest and pause and reflection are important. And, and I think about that in my own life, and, and I think about how how often we get mixed up between Christianity and churchianity and our lives have become more about churchianity than it becomes about Christianity. It becomes more about what we're doing as far as than it is about who we're being. And it becomes more about, you know, making sure that we're, you know, quite, quote unquote, doing all the right things and we're just pursuing, pursuing, pursuing and we forget just to be. And that's why the Sabbath is so important. That's why the Sabbath is a commandment. It's important for us just to stop, to be still and know that He is God. I find it so amazing that in the midst of redemption, there was a pause. So how do we apply this? How do we, what is the transferable principle for our lives? Christian tradition, we call this time Good Friday. And so I want to ask the question, what makes Good Friday good? Three things. Number one, the death of Jesus gives us atonement the death of jesus gives us atonement atonement uh, means uh, a reparation or a covering of our sins in hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 14 it says this but when christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once for all into the Holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, you need to understand the role of the high priest every year to make atonement for the sins. 
And so people would come and they would give their sacrifices, and, you know, pigeons and blood, you know, goats and, and, and lambs and uh, bulls. And people would come and the high priest would uh, have this incredibly difficult ritualistic cleansing uh, that required all kinds of different things. It would took days of him to be cleansed physically and spiritually and for him to be prepared to go into the holy of holies the inner sanctum of the temple of god where the spirit of god rested and he would go in and he would make an offering a blood offering a blood sacrifice to atone to cover the sins of man and what 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 he what the what they're saying in hebrews here is that that jesus is that atonement that if bulls and goats could the sprinkling of of their blood could cover the, the, the sins of man, how much more so is the sprinkling and the covering of Jesus' blood, the Son of God. He is now our atonement. Jesus is our atonement. Jesus is our covering. Jesus is our redeemer. We are redeemed. Our sin is covered by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, not the Lamb of the Old Testament, not the Lamb of sacrifices, the, the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. And that atonement is, uh, you know, uh, is secure and it's permanent. Jesus is now our spotless lamb. And so the death of Jesus is important. And that's why I say it's important that Jesus didn't just have a, go into a coma. It's important that Jesus didn't just you know, pass out and wake up. Jesus had to die. His blood had to spill to be our spotless lamb, to be our atonement. So the death of Jesus is, gives us atonement. The death of Jesus gives us access. And flip a page to Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, let's stop there for just for a second because what I just said, once a year, you had to have the high priest. Only the high priest was able, after ritualistic cleansing, was able to go into the Holy of Holies. And now, the, you know, we're, we're right here and we're saying, since we have confidence, we, you and I, we all have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We all have confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. When Jesus died, when he said it is finished, an earthquake shook the, uh, shook the land and a, the, the, the veil, the, the curtain that covered the Holy of Holies, that, that separated people from the Holy of Holies, it split in two, making now the access of God open to everyone. 21, and since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to, uh, uh, to love and to good works. The veil has been torn, and we now, each of us, have access to God through Christ. That, guys, let me just tell you, that is profound. That is so important. That's so crucial for us as believers. We no longer have to go. We don't have to have the high priest go before us to atone for our sins. We don't have to have a high priest go before us to speak to God on our behalf, just like for our Catholic brothers and sisters. I don't need a priest to go to, to God on my behalf. 
I don't need to confess my sins to a priest so that he may go to God on my behalf. I have access to God because of what happened on the cross. I have access to God because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have access to God because of what happened that day. Good Friday was good because it gave us atonement for our sins and it gave us access to God. Good Friday is good because it also gives us a definition of love. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees the brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The death of Jesus gives us a definition of love. And guys, let me just tell you, we need a definition of love. We need to reclaim the definition of love today. Because we live in a culture, we live in a world that's trying to pervert everything. They're trying to rename things. They're trying to call evil good and good and evil. They're trying to call things that are love not, that, that, that aren't love. They're perversion. And, they're trying, and we're trying to, to get away with that. But we need to reclaim it. We're, 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 we're being shouted down that what we claim is love is, is hate. And we need to reclaim that idea that love is serving our brothers. Love is being willing to do whatever it takes to help one another. The death of Jesus gives us a definition of love, and that's being selfless. That's striving to be like Jesus in everything we can do. So I want us to respond to the word today. I want us to respond to this sin I love this came into the world in a garden Genesis 3 shares where Adam and Eve they were there and they had everything and yet they were tempted by the enemy tempted by the serpent and in the midst of the garden, sin entered the world and now has passed down from Adam. But through a new and better Adam, Jesus, comes the redemption of man. Sin is conquered in the garden. And I love this. This is so God. The symmetry of this is so beautiful. That I love in John 19, and you may even just kind of overlook it, not even have caught it, but in John 19:41, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid because it was a Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. How beautiful is it that there was a garden? Sin entered mankind in the garden and sin was conquered in the garden. The death of Jesus gives us atonement, gives us access, and gives us a definition of love. And I want us to respond 
But I want to paint a picture first. Marty shared earlier that the death of Jesus is, though a sad moment, it should, it's a time of rejoicing, in it, and it is. And I share with you, I've done so many funerals, and, and I have. I've done, I've done funerals that would break your heart. I've done funerals for babies. I've done funerals for teenagers and funerals for people that, that you thought would be heroes of the faith, and there were three people in the room. I've done funerals for little old Sunday school teachers and there wasn't enough room in the church to sit down. And there are times my favorite funerals are those older saints who gave their lives to the gospel, who gave their lives to leading their families spiritually. I love those because you know you, you, they, they, they left a legacy. And, and it's so great letting people know that right now she is in glory celebrating and it's such a beautiful picture to paint. But one thing I always say, even in those moments, even in those funerals where of course it's an opportunity to celebrate, it's an absolute opportunity to rejoice because this person who has given their lives now is in glory and we know that as much as we can know anything. I always say, however, they've earned your tear. Their love for you and the absence, they've earned, even though they probably wouldn't want it, they've earned your tears. They've earned a moment for you to cry and to say, I'm going to miss you. Even good death should break our hearts. There is nothing more beautiful than the love that Jesus has for you and what held him to the cross and the agony that he was going through when he shouted out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when it was time to breathe his last, he shouted, it is finished. And he died. If there was ever a death that caused a celebration, because what it means for us, it is the death of Jesus. But if there is ever a death that should break our hearts, it should be this one. Because the centurion who knew nothing of this, who didn't know this at all, he didn't know the Old Testament, he didn't know what Jesus represented, he didn't know what was going on in front of him, yet he stood at the foot of the cross and he said, surely he is innocent. And what should break our hearts isn't that Jesus died, 
It's that he is innocent. And I'm not. It's my sin. It's my brokenness that held Jesus to the cross. And though we celebrate and though there is not a song that has ever been written that can adequately share how beautiful this moment was for humanity, he still deserves our tear. Because he is innocent. And surely he is the Son of God. And so I ask this question. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned as all of our sin that, that held Jesus to the cross. But does sin, now that you know the price, does sin break your heart? Because as you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the, the coming to Jesus, that's just the first step. As you, as you begin a, a lifestyle, as you begin a relationship with Jesus, we should develop a spirit and our Holy, the Holy Spirit that resides in us as we sin, as sin, as we commit sin, it should break our hearts because it's the very thing that held Jesus to the cross. And so the very things that are of the world should be repugnant and repulsive to us. And so is does sin break your heart? And if it doesn't, I want to encourage you all just to pray, Lord, align me with your spirit so that sin will once again or once and for all break my heart. Today, we come to the table and we do this. And today, is the, this, is the, this is what we're talking about right here. The body, the broken body of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb that was shed for our sins, we come and we take this and we remember His love. And we remember this every week. We remember the love of Jesus, the love of God. Let us pray. Lord, I don't even have the proper words to share to even understand the love you have for us I can't comprehend it but I humbly and with gratitude come and receive it and as we take these elements and remember what you did for us, may we may we develop a lifestyle of humility and gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.